0: Hey everyone, let's ramble for a little bit. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Theological Ramblings. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Janish, and with me, as always, I have Pastor Ross Henzie, the Altitudinous. Say hi, Ross.
1: Okay, hello.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I have Pastor Tom Fricky, the Perspicacious. I do not know what you're saying, but hello, hi. It was a compliment. It was a compliment. (laughs) All right. So, to start this episode off, I'm going to make a few statements. And after my statement, I want you to say if it is true or false. So, here we go. First statement, God loves sinners. True. True, true. All right, second statement, God hates sinners.
2: True. True. Also true.
0: God forgives sin. True. God punishes sin. True. True. Salvation is a free gift of God not earned by works.
1: True. True.
0: Unless you repent, you will perish. True. Also true. Okay, so I just listed off a bunch of seemingly contradictory statements, and you guys said true to all of them. So how can God both love and hate sinners? Like, does God have some type of multiple personality disorder? Is he like Smeagol in the Lord of the Rings, where he both hates and loves the precious? Well, actually, when we read the Bible, it can seem like the Bible contradicts itself. And if we are under the impression that the Bible contradicts itself, that can really shake our faith because it's God's word. And if it's true, we would logically think it really shouldn't contradict itself. And that is why what we are going to talk about today is so important we are going to talk about the distinction between law and gospel. Now, if you have listened to our previous episodes, you have actually heard a lot about the law. In our previous episodes, we examined the Ten Commandments in depth, which are actually a summary of God's law. But for the sake of this episode, let's just review a little bit in a more general way. So, Tom, in a nutshell, could you define for the audience what God's law is?
2: To put it very simply, what God's law is, is his commands, his punishments, his threats. It's whatever it is that God expects from us. And what he expects is a very high standard. He expects perfect obedience. So what the law does is it looks inside, it sees what's in our heart, It shows our sin. It accuses us of violating God, uh, God's commands. And and in the end, uh, ultimately, the law is all about me. And what it sees in me is not good.
0: Yeah, so uh, that is kind of a summary of the law and what the law does. So then let's ask this question. Now that we've had a little refresher on the law, Tom and Ross, could you each give me two examples of very stern, sobering law passages? We'll let uh, Ross go first.
1: I can think of 1 John where it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I can think of be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Or be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect.
0: All right, Tom, how about you? What are some very stern, sobering law passages?
2: Well, one of them is where Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who have the ability to kill the body. Be afraid of the one instead who has the ability to destroy both soul and body in hell. And uh, there Jesus, when he says that, is talking about God the judge. And God has the power to destroy both soul and body in hell. I also think about the, the times when Jesus talks about um, uh, throwing that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, talking about the punishment of hell being outside and a place of, of bitter regret. And uh, where Jesus in Matthew 25 uh, talks about the sheep and the goats and uh, he says, depart from me. Uh, you who are cursed to the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So those are frightening passages.
0: Yeah, I think you both, uh, both gave us a good uh, um, summary and some passages that do what the law is supposed to do. You know, we talked about uh, it demands perfection, you know, be holy, be perfect, and that we've all broken that. And then, Tom, you mentioned a lot of the passages that talk about what we deserve because we broke that. We deserve hell. We deserve to be thrown into that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the law can really terrify us, you know, when we see that we've sinned and broken God's law and see what the consequence of that sin is. So now that we have been duly terrified, let's transition to the gospel. Now, Tom got to describe the law in a nutshell. So, Ross, could you describe the gospel in a nutshell?
1: I think the passage that seems to sum it up the best, or at least the one that we've always learned, is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So the gospel in a nutshell is the story of Jesus. That Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus is your Savior. It's the good news of Jesus.
0: Yep, yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about the gospel and we wanted to sum it up in one word, you said it, I think we could talk about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, So then, Tom, as a follow-up, could you describe the purpose of the gospel? In other words, what does the gospel do? What the
2: gospel does for us is it it gives us God's forgiveness. Uh, We believe in Jesus Christ. We have the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has done. So it shines the spotlight on Jesus. It it shows us our Savior. And I I think a really important thing is that it's not about what we do. Okay. Uh, The gospel is not about our works, but it's about what Jesus Christ has done for us. So it's not God's threats, but it's promises, not his punishments, but it's it's the heaven that God has given to us. And when I said before that the law is all about us and it's not good, uh, you could also say that the gospel is all about Jesus and it's all good. It's just uh, the wonderful news that Christ has come for us.
0: Yeah, thank you. The one thing I'll add, you know, if we're speaking in emotional language, The law terrifies and causes us fear. The gospel comforts and gives us peace when we hear that message of Jesus and his forgiveness. So Ross already gave us one beautiful gospel passage, John 3.16. But uh, let's hear some more. So Ross and Tom, could you give some examples of beautiful, comforting gospel passages? And we'll let Ross go first.
1: Well, actually, I think uh, there are so many to pick from, but... The one that just sticks out in my mind might be one of my favorite passages for comfort. And it's actually found in the Old Testament when we think about that. Is gospel always found? Sometimes people might think the gospel is only found in the New Testament, but it's also found throughout the Old Testament as well. And the one that I thought of immediately was Isaiah 43, verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And another one I would say, uh, the beautiful words of Jesus to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And of course, you could pick just about any one of the Psalms and so on and so forth, but I'll just leave those for right now. So many comforting, comforting passages.
0: Yeah. Tom, why don't you give us a couple more examples?
1: Well, I, I think about St.
2: Paul's uh, last letter, second letter to Timothy, and he, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness that the Lord has has uh, won for me. And then he goes on to say this. He says, uh, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Those are beautiful words of peace and comfort for anyone who who is facing, who's facing death. But I also, I you know, I, <laughs> I have to go to the Book of Isaiah as, as Pastor Anzi did too. Uh, in in Isaiah 49, uh, there's this beautiful illustration here where Isaiah says, "Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born?" Though she may forget, uh, the chance is really small that a mom's going to forget about the baby that she loves so much. But though she may, uh, that small, small chance, the Lord will not forget you. God is not going to forget about you. He's with you all the time. Those are beautiful passages and uh yeah you can you can go through the psalms and you can go through and and see uh, many, many different promises and uh, beautiful beautiful gospel passages all over the place in scripture
0: yeah, thank you guys. I guess the the one that I will offer is I just love Psalm one hundred and three. You know, whenever I'm feeling down or bad, I always read Psalm 103. You know, it says in there, God forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. That's the Psalm where God talks about as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sin from us. Uh, You know, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. So, so many beautiful gospel passages that give us peace and comfort. Okay, so now we've had examples of both. We've had examples of scary law passages and examples of comforting gospel passages. But you know, sometimes the law and the gospel can be right next to each other or kind of mixed together in the same passage. So could each of you give me an example of a passage that has law and gospel right next to each other or closely combined? We'll let Tom go first this time.
2: One of the passages I think of is in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul says that just as in the Adam all dies, so in Christ all will be made alive. That's chapter 5. And in chapter 6, uh, Paul explains the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you've got the law right there in the same sentence, almost in the same breath. Uh, with the gospel message. I also think about Romans 7, where St. Paul says, uh, you know, I don't do the good that I want to do, the evil that I don't want to do. This is what I keep on doing, and it frustrates him. And then he goes to uh, ask the question, you know, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the answer to the uh, uh, the war that's going on inside of me between uh, the sinful nature and uh and the new man that wants to do what christ is uh, telling us to do so you've got both law
0: and gospel side by side in all of those places yep great examples you know the wages of sin is death that's law and then immediately switch the gift of god is eternal life that's the gospel uh ross why don't you give us
1: uh, a few more i think in romans 3 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we fall short, but we've been saved. And then 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Ah, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness.
0: Yeah, some of those passages, it's almost like whiplash. You know, you go to the law and, uh, you know, if we claim to be without sin, you know, we deceive ourselves. But then wham, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and forgives us. You know, you have law and gospel right there next to each other so we always need both law and gospel we need that law to show us our sins and then we need that gospel to comfort us and tell us about forgiveness Uh, but even though they can be right next to each other we run into problems if we mix them up what i mean by that is we run into problems when we try and use the law to do the gospels work and we want to run into problems if we try and use the gospel to do the law's work. So, Ross, could you provide an example of what it might look like if someone was using the law to do the gospel's
1: work? That's a good question. Uh, I think I would preface my answer by saying it is so very difficult to always know when to use law and when to use gospel. It it is not always clear cut. Sometimes there's a lot of gray area. And so uh, I think even Luther said that, you know, anybody who can figure out how to use law and then when to use gospel, you should be a doctor of theology. So the first thing that I thought of is the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. Okay, so now if you have someone who acknowledges that they're sinful, they recognize that what they've done is wrong, they feel guilt, they feel shame, they uh, have repented of their sin, you and I would automatically know, well, all right, then let's follow that up with the gospel. They've already been told, that, or they understand, they acknowledge their sin. To come back with law at that point would do more harm than good. You're just going to drive them deeper into the mud and the muck. When what they really need at that point is to be lifted up with the gospel. Because the law has already done its work. It's got them to that point where they are repentant. So now they need to know, but you know what? Here's this really great thing. I get to tell you your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for you. He remembers them no more.
0: Yep. We don't want to kick a person with the law when they're already down and the law has already done its work. So thank you. Now, Tom, could you provide an example of what it would look like if someone was trying to use the gospel to do the law's work? Okay, well, first
2: of all, I should mention it's, it's fairly easy to do in this sense that we could say that one word that summarizes uh, God's law entirely is the word love. But we could also say, because it's, it's talking about our love for, for God and for other people, but we could also say that the word that summarizes the gospel is love. It's just that, in this case, it's, it's God's love for us and what Jesus Christ has done for us out of that love. But if you're, you're going to start to use the, the, the gospel to try to do the law's work, it really turns the gospel into a new law. Uh, and um, it takes away all of the peace and the comfort and the joy of simply doing things uh, for our Savior uh, because we're thanking him for the blessings he has done for us. It it turns it into a kind of a believe or else message and you get the wrong motivation in keeping God's commands then. It's joyless obedience that uh, ends up happening as a result of uh, using the gospel to do the law's work. And yeah, the gracious invitation, believe in Jesus Christ because of what he has done for you, uh, becomes more or less a demand, and it drags you down in that kind of way.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. So I, I think, as we said, we have to recognize that this is difficult. You know, there's a, there's books written about, uh, you know, law and gospel and using those Properly. So we always got to keep going to God's word, keep looking at the examples of Jesus and Paul and how they used law and gospel and try and follow those. All right, so not only do we want to make sure we use both law and gospel properly, but we want to make sure we have the proper balance of each message. Now, when we have an overemphasis of the law, we sometimes fall into what we call legalism. Now, that's a term that probably not everybody is familiar with. So, Ross, could you describe to the audience what legalism is?
1: Okay, I'll do my best. Uh, In my opinion, legalism is really the attempt to try to follow the letter of the law so that you kind of get lost in the sense that you can't see the forest through the trees. And so I would define legalism, uh, it could be one of three different ways. Where, First of all, you depend on works, your good works, what you do to earn salvation. Uh, secondly, you're, you're motivated to do good works by the law rather than by the gospel. And then finally, number three, you're judging, uh, judging other people by your own standards instead of what Scripture has to say. So, you know, this is really, when you think about it, this is really what the Pharisees were known for. They, they had built up all these laws, these rules and these regulations, and they would pat themselves on the back thinking that they were actually setting the standard for other people to follow. But really, they were so hung up in the letter of the law that they failed to see... The gospel, they failed to see Jesus. And that can happen if you're not careful.
0: Yep, yeah, a- excellent answer. You know, that's one of those examples of using the law to do the gospel's work. I'm saved by my good works. Here's here's the standard. Yep. All right, now we can even have an overemphasis on the gospel. Uh, when we do that, it's sometimes called antinomianism. Now, Tom, could you describe what antinomianism is? Yeah, antinomianism uh,
2: basically is this. Anti, of course, means against, and the Greek word for law is, is numma. So it's an attitude that is kind of against the kind of proper application or the, the, the harshness of the law. So it becomes, um, antinomianism becomes something like a, a minimizing of the law in order to make it softer. It, it, in the mind of the person who's become an antinomian, it, it uh, is an attempt to try to make the law more doable so that we can actually perform our way into God's favor. The problem with that is that in the interest of emphasizing the gospel or uh, softening the law, it actually turns into a new legalism. <laughs> Because once a person feels as though the law is doable, now it's up to me to perform and to do the things that God demands of me in order to earn my way into God's favor or into heaven and to get assurance that God does indeed love me. And that's the wrong way of handling it. What the law really needs to do is to be be felt in its full force so that I know there is nothing I can do to earn God's favor. It all depends on Jesus Christ. And once I'm humbled by the law to the point where I can do nothing but depend on Christ, then the gospel comes in all of its beauty and uh, it's, it's a marvelous thing. The problem is the mistake of antinomianism is that we end up minimizing the greatness of God's grace in that kind of way. And then we lose all the certainty of the everlasting salvation that Jesus Christ has won for us because it comes from Christ alone.
0: Yeah, you need that law to make you appreciate that beautiful, unconditional gospel. You know, we shouldn't soften the law either. And audience, I hope you recognize that these are really easy things to fall into. It's easy to slip into legalism, easy to slip into antinomianism. So we got to keep going back to those messages of law and gospel. All right, so now that we have learned a little more about law and gospel, let's go back to our seemingly contradictory statements from the beginning. There are passages in the Bible where God says he hates sinners. Again, those are strong messages of law. What it's meant to do is cause us to fear and cause us to turn to the gospel where God says he loves us and sent his son Jesus to absorb God's anger for sinners on the cross. Now, when God says he punishes sin, again, that's a message of law it tells us what the just consequence of sin is. And then when God tells us he forgives sin, that's gospel. The forgiveness is an undeserved blessing of the grace of God. When the Bible tells us we need to repent or we will perish, that's a message of law meant to wake us up and to get us to turn from our sinful ways. And when the Bible tells us salvation is a free gift not earned by works, That's a message of gospel meant to comfort and alleviate any worry that we haven't done enough to earn salvation. So, audience, as you're reading the Bible or listening to a sermon or reading a devotion, a really good question to ask yourself is this. Right now, am I reading law or gospel? May God bless you in your continued study of his word and your study of law and gospel. That's it for this episode. We will see you next time.